Oh, I know this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the name's right there. <laughs> oh, yes. Kevin! Rick Schroeder. That's right, Ricky Schroeder. He was Ricky at this point. So, what's the. Learn all about those things you just can't Ooh, that guitar part. There you go, little 90210 ass. Wow, that's pretty wow. nice. <laughs> nice little guitar lick. So what what's the um what's the theme of, of that show again? It's actually pretty apropos to our chapter. Yeah. Well, silver he, spoon. It's he, like you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know. Yeah. His he was but, has a really wealthy dad. Uh-huh. And I think I don't know that he has a Mom. Okay, I wasn't sure if he was adopted or... Or maybe he was adopted. I don't know, actually. Because I remember the relationship with his dad always seemed a little, from what I remember, uh, it wasn't biological, but I could be wrong. Maybe that's true. You know? Or maybe he had a mom and it was a step... I don't remember it. Yeah. Except I remember liking the theme song, and I remember... (laughs) (laughs) I remember that his buddy was... Do you remember who his good buddy was? Uh, Who Ricky Schroeder's good buddy was on the show. Yes. No, well. I'll give you a hint. Yes. We talked about him last podcast. Will Smith? No. Uh, Who did we talk about last podcast? Carlton. Carlton, really? Yeah, the actor who does Carlton. My gosh. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Yeah, so Ricky Schroeder, Silver Spoon. Well done. You... You know your '80s shows really well. Oh man! Like I think I know them, and then you, you go up a level, <laughs> pulling <laughs> out silver spoons, huh? <laughs> well, I I looked up silver spoons and and uh, didn't remember enough of the show to want to bring it in. But oh you, really? Yeah, but you remember it. Remember it well. Mm, clearly, I don't. I don't remember if his dad was his dad or his stepdad or more mom. Than, or, more than me. Well, because wasn't, wasn't his Carlton. dad, maybe I'm getting mixed up with, um, oh, gosh. Different strokes? Different strokes. Okay, maybe different getting, strokes, yes. A rich dad adopted to. I remember Silver Spoons. I can't remember the dad now. And no, you're right. He wasn't that old. He had a beard. Kind of in his mid forties yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah silver okay. spoons. Yeah. Well, welcome everybody to Joel and Rob's podcast, where we explore a chapter of "We Make the Road by Walking." Rob, how are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon in late January? I'm doing great, Joel. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Are you doing okay? Uh, I'm doing well, actually. Well is the honest answer. Yeah. <clears throat> so we are on chapter 23. Yeah, we're getting in there. We are. We've done a few. And this one is called Jesus and the Multitudes. And so we usually begin... Sounds like a rock group. Can I just say that? <laughs> if, we, if you and I need to start a rock group, then the name will be Jesus and the Multitudes. Yeah. Well, you know, let's start off with that. The multitudes, because I've always thought of the multitudes as just a lot of people. 
I am 100% with you. <laughs> so much so that, like, I, I think Brian most likely has done his exegetical homework. But I just thought, yeah, the multitudes were just lots and lots and lots of people. Yeah. And so in this chapter, Brian says that the multitudes are those... Are the lower cast, <sighs> class. Yep, yep. They are, as he described them, um, cheap labor in the system run by the, elite, the elites, little pay, little security, little prestige, and little notice. But so when I, when I read it, I, went, I said, well, no, it's just a lot of people. But then I thought about those people that are being described... I, I guess when when I think of multitudes, I, I think of the feeding of the five thousand. Yes, I think of that story. Yes, and he's taking that story, but then he's also adding these other stories. I right. I also think of the multitudes as like Jesus on the with the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, yeah. in Matthew, Sermon on the Plain, and Luke, Jesus uh, talking from the boat in the Sea of Galilee yes. to the throngs of people. Yes. The multitudes are the people in Jerusalem lining the street as he walks in on Palm Sunday. Yep. I mean... You're thinking more um, quantitatively. Absolutely. I'm thinking quantitatively. Yeah, me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. But a case could be made with the feeding of the 5,000 that that was more than just a qualitative number when describing yeah, the multitude. It absolutely could be. I mean, clearly they're there without food or resources. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And exactly. yet also they're there without food or resources because they were there longer than they expected to be. And They got hungry. Yeah, they got hungry. Yes. They didn't bring anything with them. Right. Yeah. So, yep. um, yeah. So let me quick crash course through this uh, the scriptures that we look at. Um, Brian has a good chunk of stories in here. And actually, which was kind of interesting, not many of them he dives into in the chapter. No, he actually dove into different stories. He did, which is kind of <laughs> like, I'm not sure we John, need, he, we, we need yeah. to go through every story like we usually, we usually do. But there's so many stories. But what he does lift up, like <clears throat> basically um, those at home when you're reading Luke chapter 5 and then Luke, uh, that's Jesus calling his disciples, right? But then... Um, yes. Eight, uh, get into chapter 18 and you begin to see Jesus actually performing miracles. I'm sorry, chapter 5 is performing miracles too. But um, Well, chapter it, 5 also has the story of healing the paralytic. The paralyzed man who, whose friends who gets lowered down. Break down the yeah, and he, the, the ceiling. Right. Yep. And, and so he's not just caring, uh, caring and, and having compassion for uh, people who are sick. But in that in that day and age, to be paralyzed, to be blind, to be tormented with disease, yeah. uh, to be a beggar, um, to be a child, yes, all of them were synonymous with powerlessness. Yes, yes. So in chapter exactly in chapter eighteen, he gets into this the story of the little children and Jesus. Yes, and we often read that as and myself many years as a very cute story. Fairy tale-esque. Yes. Which and it's kind of the it's a perfect story to describe kind of Sunday school Jesus. Let the children come to Right? Me. It's this yeah. it, we get this picture of kids sitting on Jesus' lap. It's a great picture. It is a great picture. <clears throat> and it's a it's a picture And it's actually an accurate picture. It's an accurate picture. It's a literal picture. Yeah. Yes, yes. But it's I think Luke is trying to describe um, 
his focus for those who are have no voice in society. Right. And children um, are one of them. Children were actually a step below women. Yes. Yep. So Luke 18 gets into that story. It gets into the man um, uh, asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And he is wealthy, um, predicts his death a third time, and then offers mercy to the blind beggar on the side of the road in Jericho. Um, Yep. And also, finally, the story of Zacchaeus and the tax collector. Yes. Classic. Great song, that story. Have you sung it before? I sang it, actually, uh, for Uh, a sermon. I'm having a flashback of you singing it, yes. I sang it uh, at the beginning of a sermon a few months ago. Yes. I'm glad that you actually remembered something I said in a sermon. I did. That's pretty that's pretty cool. Actually maybe not something I sang as much as or something I said well, as much I had to, as something I I had to get the cobwebs yeah. out slowly. Um, uh, to thinking that you did mention this. Yep. Nice. Well Zacchaeus done was a wee on that man. sermon. Thanks. So multiple stories in Luke that um, Brian invites us to read, but really doesn't go into them in this chapter. Right. So what jumped out of you in this chapter? Well, like we talked about, uh, I never really associated the multitudes with a class or a Mm -hmm. cast. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying Brian's wrong, uh, but I think both ways is fine. Um, But uh, what he does, I think, do, which really kind of captures... Where you and I, and I think the vast majority of our listeners most likely find themselves, mm-hmm. is uh, he juxtaposes the elites, the powerful, with the powerless yep. in mass. Mm-hmm. So, uh, however, wherever you find yourself without power, because you don't have money, because uh, you don't have the same rights as people around you because you don't have the same connections because the system has inherently been built to make sure that the haves keep theirs and the have-nots are on the outside looking in. You know, yes. Wherever you are, you know, you're the powerless or the powerful, and then there is the middle. The middle, yes. And you and I and most mm-hmm. are in the middle. And we have a sh- chance to get to the top, but it's very hard. We do, and I think well, we, it's, it's but the harder. call of Jesus, right, is not to climb to the top. Exactly. The call of Jesus is to confront the system and the people that nurture a system that is built for the haves. Yes. As for the sake of at the at the cost and at the sacrifice of the have nots. What I'm talking about is those in the middle are often trying to get yes, to the top, which is what, is what he talks about. Right. And we are trying to get to the top largely. And if not consciously, I think a lot of times at least unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And if we're not trying to get to the top, I think the other side to that coin is uh, a lot of the time we're scared as hell of moving to the bottom. Yeah. And making sure that life doesn't come along and kick us in the butt. And the next thing we know, one calamity leads us from the middle down into the lower class. Yes. And we live in fear. And frankly, because we live in fear of that, we tend to judge and even hold in contempt 
you know, those we fear becoming. Yes. Uh, And so instead of caring for the poor and the marginalized, humanity has long judged and condemned the Mm. poor and the marginalized. And I think by setting up the multitudes versus the powerful, he, he, he really does a good job, I think, capturing the tension in which most Christians live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, most mm-hmm. Christians live in that tension, you know, um, trying to become the elite instead of trying to confront the elite, um, being scared of becoming the yeah. lower class instead of identifying yeah. with and working for the lower class. You have just done a really good job of juxtaposing... Um, Uh, kind of what it means to live in our culture and what our culture aims to do, which is always rise, always get to that next level, whatever Mm -hmm. it takes. Um, And in some ways, kind of our, it's the embodiment of the American dream. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's Um, capitalism 101. It is, yep. Um, And laying next to that is what you described really well, this invitation into discipleship, um, which is is in the end not me-centered, um, uh, but as this chapter does really well, Jesus' focus is on those that are in that lower yep. lower uh, section of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what the, the stories that uh, Brian invites us to read before reading it and then the stories that he highlights in the chapter in many ways, do a great job of highlighting, I think, why why Jesus is so captivating mm. and still so very, very popular, you know, in, 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 in so many ways, in that he intentionally um, goes towards, moves towards those that are suffering, those that are, um, uh, those that in some ways have, have no way to get out of that lower rung of society and has um, just immense compassion on them, compassion mm-hmm. for them. Isn't, isn't scared by it, mm-hmm. um, but mercy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think draws, draws me, but draws so many others mm-hmm. to him. Someone who is so clearly powerful, using his power for the most powerless of society yes. over and over and over again. Yep. And then confronting the one society lauds and esteems the most for their abuse of power. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He says here, little children, a Samaritan, a man who might today be classified as disabled and unemployed, a frightened and unclean woman, a little girl, they all mattered to Jesus. Amen. Hmm. And then he gets into the Pharisees. Man, he... he, he <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so the Pharisees have a... Um, uh, he, you know... How, what's the word I want to describe the Pharisees in the New Testament? They, they are... They are seen as villains so often. They are seen as the bad guy. They are seen as the ultra purist uh, kind of 
in their day, they were really kind of the neo-Orthodox. Mm-hmm. They, were, they weren't just Orthodox. They were the new Orthodox, right? They were the... Uh, they wanted to take things beyond where the scribes and Sadducees kept things. Yes. Into like this ultra black and white fundamentalist interpretation of Torah and purity and cleanliness. At least in the New Testament... They do. That's, right, that's right. how they're depicted. Because right. he does, I like that he shared post-New Testament, um, Pharisees are uh, looked as a very um, faithful and, um, uh, what's the word of the scribe, um, kind of honest and upright uh, exactly. faith leaders. And where actually... in, in the New Testament, they're looked as... As these kind of sometimes ultra, uh, as, as he describes, Brian says, fundamentalist. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so I, he, he did go there. But when I was reading his depiction of it, I kept wondering to myself, okay, Brian, when are you going to get into the fact that really what my understanding of what the Pharisees were trying to do is that they were trying to kind of reform Judaism. Mm-hmm. They were trying to reform what they had interpreted to become a lax... Hebrew establishment. Yes. Uh, and they saw and what reinvigorate as of, Jesus was doing. Yeah. Yes. They, so they were, I thought he was going to go there when he talks about the Pharisees fascination with Jesus. I thought, Oh, you're going to, okay, here you go. But he doesn't really go there. Yeah. The Pharisees fascination, uh, the Pharisees fascination. That's not easy to say with Jesus was really because there was a, I think there was a lot in Jesus that they admired. Yes. I mean, yes. uh, Jesus w- ate at Pharisees' homes. Yep. Uh, it's not that Jesus and all Pharisees, all Pharisees hated Jesus and Jesus hated all Pharisees. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but within the power structure, I think what Brian is lifting up is that the Pharisees held power. Mm-hmm. And they were using it not to lift up the multitudes. They were using that power um, to condemn anyone who didn't fit into their narrow rubric of yes. what was and wasn't clean or appropriate or holy or acceptable to God. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I, I thought, and, and Brian has gray everywhere, and he does a great job of moving into the gray everywhere. Mm-hmm. But with, the, with his take on the Pharisees, like, ooh, this is pretty black and white. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he does name. At the end, he names it. He names how um, New Testament has been used in its depiction of the Pharisees. Which was needed and appreciated. To enhance and enforce anti-Semitism. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And so to to paint any ethnicity or religion with a singular brush is just the epitome of discrimination. Yep. Yep. Um, And and the Pharisees have long been um, a very false um, and unfaithful um, representation uh, or, or, or tool that Christians have used mm-hmm. to condemn yep. Israel. Yep, absolutely. Um, this paragraph towards the end, I think, sums up the point Brian's trying to make. The contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees was nowhere clearer than in their attitude toward the multitudes. 
The Pharisees once looked at the multitudes and said, This crowd does know the scriptures. Damn them all. Now is come, he paraphrasing there? He definitely is paraphrasing. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. No, that's coming from the Gospel of John. But when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And that's from Matthew. Yeah. Jump down to the bottom. There are always multitudes at the bottom being marginalized, scapegoated, shunned, ignored, forgotten by the elites at the top. And there are always those in the middle, torn between the two. To be alive in the adventure of Jesus is to stand with the multitudes. And this is, the, this is like the highlight this part, folks. Mm-hmm. Even if doing so means being marginalized, criticized, and misunderstood right along with them. Mm-hmm. We're so terrified of becoming like them. We... We won't even stand alongside them mm. so much of the time. And there's the invitation to discipleship. Compassion requires it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And you can't be a disciple without compassion. At least, I mean, that's one of our core values here at Towson Presbyterian Church. And our understanding of compassion, that it, it is so much more than sympathy. Yes. It's... it's Loving people in word and in deed, whether we know them or not. Well, what's the definition of compassion is is to is to suffer with someone. With yeah. is that is that correct? Yeah, come alongside them and um, uh, and feel their pain yeah. alongside them. Not feeling sorry for them. Mm-hmm. It's standing with them. Yep, crying with them. Yep, acknowledging the injustice with them. Yeah. This shouldn't be. I hurt because you hurt and I will work for you because you hurt. Mm. To me, like I said a second ago, that sentence right there speaks to the call to be a disciple, to follow Jesus Mm. or what Brian would say, being alive in the adventure of Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. He says that well. Um, uh, And it's helpful for me keep reminding myself of how challenging this is. When I think it's easy, when I think I've got it, I'm really not following what Jesus invites us into. Because it's always going to be a challenge. Right. Like the rich young ruler. Like who who can really receive eternal life if it means giving up everything that we actually treasure. Yep. So that we can support and then ultimately join the poor and the dispossessed. We are always becoming on this journey as opposed to arriving. We might arrive at some new understanding or place, but that just leads us. It's just one step. Dag nabbit. Uh, to this always becoming. Yeah, we're never there, are uh, we? Nope. And I find that actually um, comforting in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> nice. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Towson Press, TowsonPress.org, 8 30 and 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Until then, I am Joel and this is Rob, and we will see you soon. Peace out.